you don't know me, my name is Brianne. I am part of the preaching team here at the Gospel Tab, and I'm so excited to be with you all this morning. Last week, if you weren't here, you really missed it. Kiara preached our first sermon in our Romans 8 series, and I'm going to tell you, it was so memorable. I've never heard a sermon like that. <laughs> I would actually encourage you to watch it because it's one that needs to be seen as well as heard. But um, Kara preached on our first scripture that we have on that list there. Um, there is no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What, what a gift. Um, this week, I have the gift of bringing to you a word about suffering and glory. And then next week, John Weber will be preaching um, our concluding sermon on Romans chapter 8. Um, as I was thinking about suffering, I was thinking, okay, there's some things that come to mind when I think about suffering, like running. I, <laughs> I am not a runner. I, is there anybody here who's ever run a marathon? Half marathon. Oh, I saw a marathoner back there. <laughs> Good for you. So, now, there's some people, aha, see, there's, 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 there are people out there. You think that's fun. I call that suffering, okay? Um, you know, when you watch the New Year's Eve service and you see the ball drop in New York, service, whatever, New Year's Eve celebration in New York City, you see the ball drop. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a crowd like that. Those crowds are terrifying. Crowds like that are crushing. That, that's suffering. I don't want to be there. There's not a bathroom in sight that I can tell, and like millions of people, no, suffering. <laughs> um, but probably one of my earliest memories of what low-key suffering in my life. Uh, I was five or six, and I remember sitting at the dinner table by myself, because at this point, everybody else had left, and I had a plate with um, cooked spinach on it. I, now, some of you might think that's wonderful. I, I get the spinach and artichoke dip. I get that. That's good. There's other things, quiche maybe, I don't know, other things. A spinach salad, that's good. But in my opinion, you should never cook a leaf. Like, why? <laughs> like, the texture is so bad. So I sat there staring at the spinach. Mom, take it away. No, she's not taking it away. That's good for you. It's going to nourish your body. You got to eat it. Great. <laughs> So I just stared at it for a long time. Now it's cold. It's even worse. And I decided, you know what? It's going to make it better. I'll make it better. I'm going to mix it in with the spaghetti. So I mixed it in with the spaghetti. And no, that did not make it better. It just expanded the amount of spinachy tasting food that I now had to eat. And then I thought, okay, last effort. I'm just going to smother it with pepper. Like... <laughs> I'm just going to eradicate the spinach flavor, and maybe that will make it tolerable. It, it was a terrible meal, you guys. It was terrible. So I'm just bringing this as a lighthearted version of, like, describing there are levels to suffering, right? Like, those things are unpleasant. They're not good. It's not enjoyable. There's no sense of comfort in some of those things for some of us. But there is an other end of the range of suffering that is just far far more difficult to go through than eating a plate of spinach, right? And as I'm talking today, there's one thing that I just wanted to be clear about is that this is not a comprehensive treatment on how we experience suffering in Christ, right? This is just the word that I was given from this passage. So it is a way of engaging the Lord in our suffering. And then the last thing I wanted to say too was... Um, you know, 
if you're if you're in an if you're experiencing something, um, <laughs> there's some type of suffering I'm not talking about enduring. When I talk about enduring suffering, I'm not encouraging you to stay in an unsafe situation. So if there's anybody here who has that situation or a relationship that's just not safe, like please just come see somebody and don't let the enemy twist that. I'm not saying you need to stay in that. Okay. Um, but you know, like that picture of sitting with a plate of something in front of you that you don't want to eat and you're thinking I've got all these methods to deal with this like maybe I could just completely escape this actually there was a time when I tried to flush my vegetables down the toilet so so you know these are the things we think we're like I gotta get out of this situation I am desperate to get out of this situation and for this to end right um, but many of the methods that we come up with in our humanity to deal with suffering typically do not help the problem. If anything, they might delay or like shove it aside a little bit, but it's not actually going to help the problem and bring peace to that place. Okay, so our passage that we're getting into today is Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 30. And um, if you guys could stand, we're going to read the whole passage. I will read it, actually, because that's a little bit easier for me. I want to honor the word of the Lord. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. <laughs> They're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. But the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. You may be seated. Okay. You guys. There's been a lot of tears going into this sermon. Okay, um, Romans chapter 8, okay. I'm going to revisit some of those verses for you, okay? So it starts out and it says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time 
isn't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Um, and what Paul ends up doing is essentially he talks about suffering without talking about suffering because that's not really the point. But we're going to talk about it for a minute. Um, he says, all of creation groans, waiting for it to, to be renewed. In verses um, 20, where is it? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, it says, for the creation was subjected to frustration. In some places it talks about corruption in other versions of the Bible. And this brings us back to a memory of, well, why did God do that to creation? And we know the reason that creation was subjected to futility, to decay, to death, is because humans, Adam and Eve, brought sin and death into the world, right? And if you remember, God had given them dominion over creation. And so, in some sense, this is his order, where it's like we, those who ruled over creation, fell into sin and death, and so too did creation fall into sin and death. And it says creation is groaning for its renewal. If you look at the world around you, those of you who love nature, it's really kind of stunning because nature is beautiful, right? And oftentimes we don't see it and think, wow, that looks like death and decay and corruption. So it makes you wonder what original creation was like. If it's this beautiful now and we know the world's pretty messed up, it must have been incredible. Kind of like us, um, having been created in the image of God, it doesn't mean that we are just exactly like God, right? But it does mean that there are similarities. We were created in the likeness of God to be like him, to be similar to him. Um, I read this quote from Wayne Grudem in Systematic Theology, and he said, Though mankind is still in the image of God in every aspect of life, some part of that image has been distorted or lost. So there's just an element of what God's intent in creating us in his image, we haven't even seen yet. Not at all, right? Because it's been messed up by sin. And so when Romans 8 says we're groaning, it says in verse 23 that we groan. Not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. It's true, right? I mean, there might be periods of life where, where it feels pretty good, pretty stable. I actually remember having this expectation when I was a kid. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm going to live the right life. It's going to go well for me, right? Things are going to be good. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. I haven't. This is just, it was a real deception. It was a real deception, you guys. Um, but, you know, even if you are living a good life, you know, for the Lord, a righteous life, and people around you are also doing the same. Um, there's something about our calling as God's children that requires us to engage suffering. When you think about Jesus and how Jesus was called a man of sorrows, I don't, it's not because of his own personal sin, because he had none, you know? Um, sure, he was ridiculed and treated terribly because the enemy hated him. But at the same time, I think a large part of it was because he came in close to suffering. He came in close to us. He came in close, and he carried that. So as part of our calling is to carry the suffering of others. But we know it personally, too, right? Like, we struggle with our own sin. We suffer. I, why haven't I kicked this problem yet, right? There's, there's depression. 
There's chronic illness. There's disease. There's traumatic wounds that we carry. Things that aren't healed in an instant, right? There's, there's um, poverty. We have broken families, broken communities. Like, there's just so many things that are really messed up in this world. And sometimes we just want to mix it in with the spaghetti, right? Kind of not look at it, not see it, not think about it. But it's there. And, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> Again, I don't know why I was surprised that, like, life was going to be hard. Because it's all over in the Bible, by the way. <laughs> In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's this, this now and not yet encapsulated in this statement, right? You can expect that you're going to have a hard time in this life. But you be encouraged also, because I, I, I walked the path of righteousness, and I have overcome this for you. So, some of the abundance of Jesus having overcome does filter into our life here and now, right? Even though he's telling us you will have trouble, that doesn't mean like just lay down and take it, right? <laughs> there is an element of we do walk in the kingdom and we say the kingdom is here, the kingdom is for now. And we see miracles and healings and we see faith rise and we see conversions and we see amazing things, right? But we also live in the gray sometimes, like in the groaning place where this thing is not right yet. This really hurts, and it's not going away either. Um, the healing hasn't come. Like in this space, what, what do we do? Um, we, we pray, right? Um, and usually my prayer begins a lot like, my plate of spaghetti, take it away. Or my spinach, take it away, Lord, this pain. Make it go away. Or then after that, when it's not gone, we'll just make it better. <laughs> you know? Um, Romans 8, 26 and 27 talks about how we pray. And it says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Okay. Um, part of the diagnosis for us is that we don't know how to pray as we should. And that doesn't mean that, like, the words that you're saying aren't holy enough or good enough for God because that's not what Jesus taught us, right? Jesus, the Lord's Prayer was really simple. Um, and he hears that. It probably has a lot more to do with praying out of our desires, right? We just see this problem, and we're, we're fixed on that, and it's like, God, I want these circumstances to change. But even though he cares about us, our comfort isn't always his most, um, the highest priority of his thoughts. He cares about what's going on inside even more. So there's a built-in contrast in these verses when it says, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but it says the Spirit himself intercedes for us, which, by the way, when you come up for prayer afterwards, I don't know if you guys have done this. I've done this. My problem is so big that I need the most anointed person in this room to pray for me. <laughs> like, 
I need the person who got hit, like the dove needs to be on their head, right? But this is telling us that you don't need the most anointed person. The anointer is praying for you, okay? So that is part of the hope for the now. We don't know. That's mysterious, right? We don't hear that groaning of the spirit. We don't hear it. But he is doing that. And one of the things that he does is, it says he prays in verse 27, according to the will of God. And that is the contrast, I think, between the way that we don't know how to pray and the way that the spirit prays. Because we really don't know what is in God's mind and heart for us. Not completely, right? We know what our desires are, but the will of God that the Spirit is praying into, what is that? You know, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Jesus. You know, when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane before he was going to be crucified, he, he knew what was coming. He had read the prophetic scriptures. He'd done many things in his ministry where he said, so that the scriptures will be fulfilled. You know, so now he's in the garden and he knows he's about to be crucified. And he says, my soul my soul is grieved, right? He's wrestling in the garden with what's coming. He's looking at this going, I don't want this. He said, Father, if it's possible, take this from me. Three times he asked, take this from me. I don't really want it. But if it's your will, if it's your will, let it be. So there's something in that where it's like, I know I've seen this in myself where I've been given something that was hard to carry, and I just rebelled, you know? This inability to surrender, because it's like, I do not want this, period. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not gonna engage that second half of Jesus's prayer. Like, I just do not want this. And I think, in, well, the picture that came to my mind with that is like, almost like this video where that guy's like, hey, you don't have to go with me, you know? But you're not gonna do so well unless I'm with you. Or like a three-legged race, you know? If you had a three-legged race and the two partners decided they were going in different directions, you're not gonna get very far, right? So even when I'm in rebellion and I'm saying, God, I do not want this, and I'm not living in a surrendered heart to you, um, probably not a whole lot of anything happening in that space. But Jesus, he had a surrendered heart he just said, your will be done. It's a hard place to come to. I really, um, there's no, I don't have a recipe for that, you guys. <laughs> it's a wrestling though, right? You looked at Jesus, it wasn't like, boom, your will be done, God. It was painful and it was a wrestling. So we hope to see ourselves um, grow in the surrender of our hearts and in that place where the Spirit is interceding for us, where we don't know what the will of God is or even what is being accomplished, something is happening. You know, um, as much as the hard times in my life have marked me in a way that were, like, miserable, um, somebody asked me recently, how, how do you hear from God? Like, tell me some of the stories where you've heard from God. Like, every, so many came to mind, and almost every single one was from one of those dark points in my life where it's like only God you know one time I was laying in bed I was almost I was almost asleep and I was just wrestling with something and I basically was like God 
I don't think this can be made right, you know? And I was about to fall asleep and I just heard the book, Nehemiah. I just heard that like in my mind. And then I saw like across the darkness, you know, with my closed eyes, saw the reference number for a passage in the Bible. And I looked it up and it spoke exactly to the scenario I was wrestling with. And it was just that encouragement that I needed in that moment to just be like, there's hope here. There is hope, but you just got to stay with me, right? The Lord's like, stay with me. Um, and you know, of all of Romans chapter 8, there's a couple really famous verses. And one of them is right around the corner from here. So we just read Romans chapter, or verse 27, and it says, and we're about to read 28 and 29 too. It says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Oh man, the number, I knew this verse long before I knew the other ones, right? And whenever I would repeat this verse, I filled in the blanks of what, that good was that God was working for. Like, oh, naturally, God, that means the good you're working for is the removal of this painful thing in my life, right? It's probably not correct. If you actually take verse 28, in between verses 27 and 29, you begin to understand a little bit more of what God's actually saying, right? So while the Spirit is praying for us in accordance with the will of God, he is working things for our good. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. You guys, this is what he's after. This is the good that we're waiting for. Um, it's not circumstantial. It's in your heart. Um, I was trying to think about like, how can I visually represent what it's like to have fallen from the image of God and be restored to the image of God? Guys, there's no picture for that. But um, I could, there's this one I came across of this classic car, it's a Mustang. I don't know if you can see that one on top. The one on top, who knows? It might not even have a steering wheel. It looks like it can't go anywhere. Um, probably a classic car fanatic would know what make and model this is. And they could say that is the, in the image of some, in some way, in the image of a Mustang, whatever it is, you know? Um, but it's so far from the original thing, right? And guys, that's what we are before Jesus comes into our life. We're so far from the image of God that he intended for us to carry. And when we invite Christ into our life and the spirit comes into our life, he begins this work. And oftentimes it is painful. This work of like stripping away what shouldn't be there. Like in this photo, the dirt and the rust and all that. And then filling in the things that should be there that we can't do ourselves, you know? 
and probably people who do this type of restoration work on a vehicle, it probably takes years, you know. Um, you all, we're in it for the lifetime, you know. Um, I was thinking about how I was recently diagnosed with tennis elbow. I don't play tennis. I don't run. <laughs> um, but I've been going to therapy, and um, it still hurts, you know. Uh, weeks after weeks, it still hurts. But the therapist gave me a test the other day, and she's like, oh, my goodness, you have improved so much. She did these measurements. It's scientific, whatever. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. I'm still in pain. <laughs> but that's, what, that's what's happening in our lives, you guys. This is the slow work of sanctification. But I like to think of it as being conformed to the image of Jesus. In those really, really hard places in your life, when you stay with him, over time, change does happen. You do improve. You do actually become to resemble the image of Jesus. People can see it in you. So that is what the Spirit is working for in our lives as he prays for us. But there's a really good part to this thing, you know, when we're in the gray place of suffering, like, and there's no end in sight sometimes. Um, there's some really encouraging words in this chapter, and it, it isn't necessarily like a major relief for the here and now, but I think it's super important. And this part is more of what I was hearing the Lord say pretty clearly. Um, as we look to become like Jesus, Hebrews 12 Verses 1 through 2 came to mind. These are some of my favorite verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This Jesus. Can you actually leave the scripture up there for me? Thank you. Um, this Jesus left his throne in heaven. This place that we can't even fathom how wonderful it is. To embrace this mess that we're in. To walk through the pain of living 32 years, 33 years. <laughs> um, on this earth. He chose that for you and I. Um, but then he endured the cross, which is unimaginable to us, you know. And he chose that too when he surrendered to the will of the Father. But the, the thing that I saw in here that I related to and didn't relate to were these words um, where he endures and where he scorns, okay. So Jesus endured the cross and he scorned its shame. You guys... I really felt convicted in this. We often endure our shame um, and scorn suffering. Like, the suffering is the part we don't want to have anything to do with. Um, and that's 
not what Jesus did. He, he endured the suffering. He didn't scorn it. He endured it. Um, and I feel like God is saying, like, don't despise your suffering. In that place, he's making you like Jesus. And in that place, he's close to you. He's near to the brokenhearted. But the other key to this that really ties into Romans 8 is where it says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. You see, there was like this impetus to do this thing because he had his eyes fixed on what it was he was going to achieve. And it was something in the future, you know. Um, it was this future full kingdom, the one that creation is longing for, the one that we are longing for. It's not fully here, and we, we can't really even imagine it, right? But he had his eyes on that. And if you read passages in the Old Testament, it talks about this kingdom. And there's passages in the New Testament that talk about this kingdom. But guys, how often do we think about it? I was thinking about this. I was like, yeah, I wonder how much time I spend throughout my life planning my next vacation thinking about how I can't wait to get to the beach and I can't wait to, you know, ride my bike in North Carolina, whatever. You know, we spend a lot of time thinking about earthly vacations, right? How much time do we think about heaven? Like, do we spend time thinking about it? Wondering, daydreaming, imagining. Guys, that is our eternal home. This is a blip compared to that. That's what chapter 8, 18 is saying, like, this pain that you're in isn't even worth comparing to the future glory. And it's not because your pain isn't terrible. That's not what Paul is saying. Like your pain could be nearly, you know, it, whatever, we can't compare. But it is terrible. It's not that it's not terrible. It's that glory is so much beyond your comprehension that it's not even worth comparing. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 encourages us to follow Jesus in this way. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Okay, so... If the musician could come up, I'm actually going to start. <laughs> the musician. I present him to you. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. Sometimes Jake sings this song called Just One Look. Um, talks about, like, with just one look from Jesus or of Jesus, everything changes. And that's really what was in my heart with all of this. For those of you who may never have really encountered the risen Savior, He wants to meet you. He wants to make Himself so real to you that you long for your eternal life with Him more than you want to look at the mess that's in front of you. He wants to meet you in a way that that future reality is so real so real that nothing is ever the same again and that that what is in front of you is worth enduring 
was reading in Revelations. And this is really where it's at, you guys. Like, sometimes we just need to wonder. I, I'm one of those people who in some ways never grew up and I still ask silly questions, you know? And like the other day I was thinking, you know, people have a smell. <laughs> like babies have a smell. I know what my husband smells like, you know? But what does Jesus smell like? Like there's so many things that we haven't even thought to consider about how wonderful heaven is going to be. So if you could just close your eyes, I'm going to read a couple passages from Revelations. I'm going to add in a little bit of my own talking along the way, okay? Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. You guys, there's a coming wedding. You're in Christ, you will be there. It's gonna be more beautiful than any earthly scene ever was. We'll be walking in heaven and seeing Jesus. Be united with him in a way that to this point you've only had a taste of. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. He himself will wipe away your tears. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For those former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Whoever's closing can come up. Um, You guys, I know this wasn't um, quite the, he's taking territory and winning my victory in this moment. 
type sermon, but this is real. You know, we love that Jesus came to this earth and suffered and died to win our redemption. And we like being called Christians. So we're followers of Christ, little Christ. We can't embrace any other type of life. The one that says, God, you will see me through the hardest journey. And at the end, we'll be with him. And he is that wonderful.